somebody just woke up one morning and thought, what should we call this place? I know, Prattville. I don't know how that ever came about. Kind of bizarre. All right, well, turn in your Bibles, please, to Luke chapter 2. We are presently in a series looking at the gospel of Luke. Dr. Luke is communicating to us, having gathered much information from eyewitnesses and people who were on the scene at the time. And he's writing to Theophilus and indeed us so that we may have certainty concerning the things that we have been taught in our lives about the coming Messiah, Jesus Christ. Last week, we looked together at the nativity story and the glorious reality that hope has come. And this then in verses 21 through 40 is what happens next. And at the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus. The name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. And when the time came for their purification, according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents of the child, parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him in his arms and blessed God. And said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of your peoples. A light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel. And for a sign that is opposed. And a sword will pierce through your own soul also. So that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. And there was a prophetess, Anna. The daughter of Phanuel. Of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years. Having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin. And then as a widow until she was 84. She did not depart from the temple. Worshipping with fasting and prayer night and day. And coming up that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. And when they had performed everything according to the law of the Lord, they returned into Galilee, to their own town of Nazareth. And the child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. Let's pray and ask the Lord for his help. Lord, your word is... Wonderful. Lord, I thank you for the privilege, and Lord, it is a privilege, the privilege of gathering around your word again this morning. Lord, would we behold the glory of the incarnation today? Would we marvel at this unfolding mystery that is staggering before our eyes, that God became man? Lord, help us to understand all that that means and marvel at your word. In Jesus' name, amen. 
You know, Christmas, as the song says, really is the most wonderful time of the year. It is a time of year when we get to eat and drink copious amounts of food and drink together. We get to enjoy Christmas tunes. We get to decorate up our houses with trees and lights. If you have a son like mine, you send him up the roof to do lights. I don't like heights. But we decorate our houses. We put all Christmas ornaments throughout our houses. The house throughout December is usually filled with songs that we don't listen to for the rest of the year. But at Christmas time, we absolutely love them. And together, we get to enjoy Advent. And if you don't want to know what Advent means, Advent simply means arrival. It means the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And each and every Christmas time, we get to enjoy those things together, don't we? Advent, lights, a tree, everything is going on. And yet just a couple of days after Christmas Day, we can oh so quickly pack down and just move on. Can we not? The tree goes back in the box, the lights go back in the box, the ornaments go back in the box, we attend to the garage, we put them in the slot for Christmas in the garage, not to be seen for another 11 and a half months. We just move on. And the truth is, I think we can do exactly the same thing with verses 1 to 20 as well. We can oh so quickly move on from the story of the nativity We can even be amazed by the story of the nativity. We can be amazed as we think about the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. As we think about how he was born to a virgin into the squalor of a borrowed stable. We can be amazed and affected by all the angels and how they're singing glory to God and the Most High. And the shepherds are then running in and meeting Jesus and going away worshipping him. We can be deeply affected by that scene. And yet oh so quickly move on. But what we learn, my friends, in verses 21 to 38 is that Christmas isn't done yet. It's not done. How many people think that the Christmas scene finishes at verse 20? It doesn't. It finishes in verse 38. We're only halfway through the Christmas story so far. You know, I've never in my life seen a Simeon Christmas figurine. Never. But we should. I've never seen a temple or an Anna Christmas figurine out on anybody's mantelpiece. But we should, because it's all still part of the Christmas story. What Simeon says in this scene really puts an exclamation mark on the entire Christmas story. That's why it completes in verse 38 and not with the shepherds in verse 20. If you want a title for them this morning's message, which is very important to my family, they like to have a title at the top of their notes. So, listening family, yes, Christmas isn't done yet. The rest of you can make notes as well if you'd like to. And I have three points this morning. Number one, the naming and presentation. Number two, the song. And number three, the prophecy. And I come to it this morning with one hope. I I pray that we would see the Christmas story in the entirety for all it is from verses 1 through to verse 38. And we would marvel in awe and wonder with this great exclamation mark of all that takes place right here. 
The incarnation really is an incredible story. So number one, the naming and presentation. Let's look again at verse 21. It says, and at the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. Luke describes this circumcision moment with a single concise statement. And the reason why he does that almost by the way is because although circumcision was really important, it is not the main point that he's trying to help us see right here in this text. See, circumcision was indeed important. Circumcision was commanded in Genesis chapter 17 for all males who would be a part of the covenant people of God. And so without being circumcised, even though Jesus was of pure Hebrew blood, he could not be counted as part of the covenant people. So it's so important at the end of eight days that he was circumcised. Except Luke's brevity of mentioning it is deliberate. Because what he's trying to draw attention to is not actually the circumcision, but the naming of Jesus. And what a beautiful name it was. See, this time it was customary that you would be named on the eighth day during the circumcision ceremony. And prior to the birth of this baby, both Mary and Joseph have been told with separate events what they are to call this child. In Luke chapter 1 verse 31, speaking to Mary, it says, And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. And then in Matthew 1 verse 21, the same angel actually appears to Joseph. It says, she will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Staggering. Before this baby even arrived then, they understood that they are to have a baby and they will call him Jesus. Jesus literally means the Lord saves. And this is the moment. Holding him in their hands, they are to name this baby. Can you imagine how dramatic this must have been? They knew it was coming, they knew his name, but he's right there. And having circumcised him, we're naming him Jesus. The Lord said. Understanding that this really was the Savior that they held in their very hands. And then what comes next in verses 22 to 24 is the most wonderful presentation. Look at verse 22. And when the time came for their purification, according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. About a month later then, after the circumcision, or 33 days to be absolutely exact, Mary and Joseph Joseph head on down to Jerusalem, and they head on down to Jerusalem to present their baby to the Lord in the temple. This is all part of the law. And you'll notice, if you pay attention in chapter 2 alone, Luke tells us five times that they are doing all these things according to the law. He says the same same phrase in verse 22, 23, 24, 27, and 39. He wants to help us understand that Mary and Joseph are good, godly parents. 
They are passionate about bringing this child up in the training and instruction of the Lord. They are righteous and devout people before the Lord. And so there they go. They are on their way to Jerusalem to present their child in the temple at the end of 33 days, as was the law. And yet, what he also wants to help us understand, oh so importantly, is Mary and Joseph are dirt poor. Not easily noticeable, but vital. See, he says here that they make their offering according to the law. True, but not quite the whole story. See, the law he's talking about is Leviticus chapter 12. In Leviticus chapter 12, God made a decree that when you come and offer a purification and presentation of your child, you're to make a sacrifice. What was that sacrifice? Well, Leviticus 12 verses 6 to 7 make it clear that it is a lamb, a year old, and a pigeon or a turtle dove as an offering. That's what you came to the temple. I mean, it would be bizarre. I think we should start this at baby dedications. It would be unique, wouldn't it? Yeah, what are you bringing today? A lamb? That would be lovely. Thank you very much. We'll have it for lunch. I mean, that's what they did. They brought a lamb and they offered something up to the Lord. The challenge is lambs were quite expensive. Most people could afford it, but not everybody could. So God made an exception in Leviticus chapter 12, verse 8. He says this. And if she cannot afford a lamb, then then she shall take two turtle doves or two pigeons, one for a burnt offering and the other for a sin offering, and the priest shall make atonement for her. Well, that is exactly what they're about to offer before the Lord. It is a public declaration of their poverty. They are poor. And Dr. Luke wants us to understand that because he wants us to see that this dear couple are living and breathing illustrations of the poor in spirit that Jesus has come to save. One of the emphasis we will see throughout this gospel is that Jesus has not come into the world to applaud the mighty and the proud and the self-sufficient. No, he has come into the world to seek and save the lost. He has come for the poor in spirit. The only qualification you need to enter into the kingdom of God is understanding your profound need. It takes poverty of spirit to enter into this kingdom of heaven. And what Dr. Luke is trying to help us see is Mary and Joseph are exhibit A. They got nothing. They can't even afford a lamb. See, this emphasis has happened all the way through the book so far. Mary, a nobody from a nothing town in the middle of nowhere. That's why when she sings, she sings, thanking God, amazed that he would count her worthy to do this and that he would look on her humble estate. She said, well, I've got nothing. I'm from nowhere. A nothing town in the middle of nowhere. Jesus himself is born into the squalor of a borrowed stable. A nowhere stable. In a nowhere place at the back of a nowhere inn. This is not the palace that you would expect. It's just nothing going on. And then the angels appeared to kings and queens. No. Shepherds. Nobody shepherds. Men that were just one rung above like leper on the social scale. Because their job was so terrible. 
But all the time, Luke is trying to help us see, look at the way he is using what society would class as nobodies to illustrate the poor in spirit that he's come for. Isn't it beautiful? The only qualification we need to enter into the kingdom of God is ultimately understanding our need. Jesus himself, 30 years later, as he stands on a mount and gives his most famous sermon, says the following in Matthew 5 verse 3. He says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Mary and Joseph, Dr. Luke is trying to help us see, are exhibit A. See, as this Christmas story continues, and we just think, oh, this is interesting. He's getting circumcised, named. I don't know, he's doing something in the temple. It is packed with information. It's packed with information to help us see the beautiful name of Jesus, the Lord saves. And to marry that with who he's come for, namely the poor in spirit. This story is building. And then comes our second point, number two, the song. You see, when Jesus was presented in the temple by Mary and Joseph, there were, in fact, two elderly and godly saints that were being set up by the Holy Spirit this day to receive Jesus Christ and to meet him for the first time. First of those is a man named Simeon. Look at verse 25. It says, Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, And the Holy Spirit was upon him. We don't know all that much about Simeon. We certainly don't know much about his personal circumstances. He could have been a priest, but to be honest, the Bible just doesn't make that clear at all. What we do know about him, though, are three things. First of all, we know he was a righteous and devout man. He really loves the Lord. And that's a really wonderful thing to be said about you, that you are righteous and devout. This is a man who just loves the Lord and has given his life to following the Lord, to spending time in his word and following it. We also know he's old. It would appear by the fact of what comes next that he understands, I am old and I can now depart. What also becomes clear, number three, is he was a man who was waiting for the consolation of Israel. That word there, consolation, simply means comfort. This is a man that understood we need a Messiah. We need one to come to comfort Israel. It was all messianic language. And so what we have here is a righteous and devout old man who is waiting for the coming Messiah. He's awaiting his great arrival. And it would appear that in effect he has a female twin, a lady called Anna. This is what we read about her in verses 36 and 37. It says, And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, and then as a widow until she was 84. She did not depart from the temple, worshipping with fasting and prayer night and day. So we've been introduced to Simeon, now we're introduced to Anna, a lady who's also come into the temple, a lady who's also righteous and devout. She's a prophetess. She's a lady then who is used by God to speak on behalf of God to his people. And it would appear that she's in the temple day and night. Now that might be a small gift of exaggeration, but what he's simply saying there is, every time I see her, she's there. 
She seems to just live in the temple all the time. This is a woman who gives herself to prayer and praise. For her, it isn't once a term, it is every day of her life. And she's old. She's 84. Which at this season of life, at this part of history, is really old. People didn't often get this old at all. And there in the temple is this 84-year-old woman who is devout and righteous before the Lord, giving herself to prayer and praise. And she was a woman, she says, who is waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. Again, messianic language. She's waiting for the Messiah. The one who has been promised of long ago. The one who will come to put all things right. Simeon and Anna then are a wonderful embodiment of Israel's piety. They love the Lord. And they are waiting for the Messiah, something that would appear they've been doing all of their lives. And yet what's beautiful is it would appear that Simeon understands that he will indeed see him with his own eyes. So you look with me at verse 26. It says, And it had been revealed to him, Simeon, by the Holy Spirit, that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. That's beautiful. Simeon appears to have received an oracle from God, making it clear that though he was old, he would not leave this life on earth before seeing the Lord's Messiah. And then it happens. Guided by the Holy Spirit onto the temple on this great day, it happens. Verse 27. And he came in the spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him, according to the custom of the law, he took him in his arms and blessed God. You know, I can't help but wonder what that would have felt like for Simeon. I wonder how long he'd been waiting for. Weeks, months, years, maybe decades. I wonder how many times somebody had come into the temple with a baby and he had wondered. I wonder if that's the one. I wonder if he'd been stalking people in the temple for years. Can I have a little look? Just, oh lovely. Not the one, but thank you. I wonder how long he's been waiting. I wonder how many babies he's seen throughout his life. And yet in this moment, one, Mary and Joseph make their way in through the back door and they come up to the front. This was a day when the Holy Spirit had specifically led Simeon into the temple at this exact time. And in a moment, as he saw Jesus and asked for a hold, he sees in Jesus' face the fulfillment of what his trusting heart had always longed for. What a moment. Maybe decades of waiting. And in a moment, he holds God in his hands. This is him. This is the one. And Simeon in that moment then does what, well, everybody seems to do in the Gospel of Luke when they get excited. Starts singing. (laughs) And this is what he sings, verse 29. Lord, Now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. The song begins with a declaration of peace. 
With this baby in his arms, Simeon begins to sing, and he begins to sing about the incredible peace of soul that he is now experiencing. And that is not surprising that he feels that peace of soul in this moment. After all, he is holding the Prince of Peace that had been prophesied in Isaiah 9, now in his hands. The one who the angels sang of, glory to God in the highest and peace among those with whom he is pleased. He now holds in his hands. And so he simply sings to the Lord and basically says, I'm good to die now. I've seen him. This is the one I've been waiting for. I'm experiencing profound peace in this moment as I hold the Messiah in my hands. And then he explains in verse 30 to 32 as he continues the song just why it is that he feels such great peace. He says, for my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples. A light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. As he sings out to the Lord then holding God in his hands, he's aware, my eyes have seen the Lord's salvation. All the prophecies that have come, some 300 prophecies over 500 years. I've seen the fulfillment of them all. I hold him in my hands. This is him. And this is the one who is indeed the savior of the whole world. He makes it completely explicit in this moment. He makes it clear that this is the one who is in and of himself a light of revelation for the Gentiles. See, all the way back in Genesis chapter 12. When God encounters Abraham, he makes a covenant with Abraham and he promises Abraham, listen, Abraham, I will make you into a great nation. And through this nation, there will be a blessing to all the families of the earth. The idea of the Gentiles getting saved wasn't like a new thing. It was a very, very, very old thing. And as Simeon holds Jesus in his hands, he realizes this is the one. This is the one who will bring priest to the whole earth. This is the one who will bring salvation to all. This is indeed the one, as he sings there, the glory of the people of Israel. And it is. What an accolade that Israel would always have on their nation. You, in effect, gave birth to the Savior of the world. That is quite an accolade. He is indeed the glory of the Israel. And he's indeed the saviour of the world. And as Simeon sings, he's aware, I'm ecstatic because I hold him on my hand. Phil Riken in his commentary says this about Simeon in this moment. He says, these verses tell of the story of a servant who is instructed by his master to keep watch through the long, dark night of a high place, to wait for the rising of a special star and then to announce it. And then after many wearisome hours of waiting, he at last sees the star rising in all its brightness and so announces it and is then discharged from keeping watch any longer. Simeon had been called to watch and to wait for the star of salvation, the rising of God's own son. And now Simeon's eyes had finally seen his face. He had seen Jesus and in him he had seen the salvation of the Lord. Isn't it wonderful? In this moment, he had seen the salvation of the Lord. He realized this is him. And so he sings. And then Anna in verse 38, she sings. She's amazed, giving thanks to God that this is him. 
And in verse 33, then Joseph, mum and dad, they respond. Verse 33, and his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. There's already been so much said about Jesus, but every time his mum and dad hear it, they still shake in their heads in disbelief. This is amazing. This is him. This is the Messiah. We hold God in our hands. Well, just before the party gets started, Simeon has a prophecy for them. A prophecy for them that, quite frankly, put a dampener on the whole party that was about to erupt. It was a sobering prophecy. And that's my third point, the prophecy. Look with me at verse 34 to 35, because, oh my, what a finish to this Christmas story this is. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed. And a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. Right here then, through prophetic prediction, Simeon blesses the child and then looks straight at Mary. And for the first time in her life, Mary starts to understand the dangers and the darkness and the daunting reality of what it's going to mean to be the mother of Jesus. This is not the type of thing you would usually come and share at a baby shower. But that's exactly what's going on. Mary. There's something you need to know. Mary, this isn't going to be easy. Mary, this is going to be a really hard path for you. See, my friends, make no mistake. In the years to follow, there would no doubt be many, many very special moments for Mary as the mother of Jesus. Mary would have been there the first time Jesus crawled and walked. And laughed and spoke out loud. She would have been there when she was, when Jesus was showing her his first pictures or his first few pieces of carpentry. She would have had those mum moments of, oh, they're very nice. When they're really not that great. Her kitchen would have been filled with his artwork as he was growing and understanding what art is and his carpentry as his dad tries to help him. But it takes some time to get a hang of it. She would have been there at each of his birthday parties, getting the house ready the night before and then leading the song of celebration of happy birthday. She would have been there wrapping his gifts the night before and presenting them to her son on this special day annually. She'd be there to read stories to him when he was young, to tuck him into bed, keep him warm when he is cold and as he got older to talk with him late into the night about whatever was on his heart that he wanted to talk about. There would be very special, intimate moments of what it meant to be the mother of Jesus. To be Jesus' mum came with great privilege. Without doubt, this great privilege would also come with great sorrow. As Simeon tells her, for this child, he was appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel. This child is the king. 
This is the one who ultimately will judge good and evil. This is the one who will say, away from me, I never knew you. This is the one who will give his life away as a ransom for many. And his message, Simeon tells her, it will be opposed by many. They're not going to put the red carpet out for him, Mary. Trumpets aren't going to be sounding. No, many will oppose him in this great task. And Mary, you should know that a sword will pierce through your own soul also. And my friends, 33 years on from this moment, when this baby that they held in their hands in this moment has grown up, 33 years on from this moment, on a hill called Calvary, this is exactly what took place for Mary. Because 33 years on from this moment, this baby that she holds in her hand, she would be looking up to as he hangs in a bloody mess on the cross. See, it says in John chapter 19 that his mom was right there. What must that have felt like? His mom was right there seeing him hanging in the height of pain and the depth of shame. And she was his mom. She would have been there hearing the crowd jeering at his son. Mocking her son, spitting on him. Her boy. She was right there as just to her left, the, the guards and the soldiers were dividing up his garments. It says that they divided up his tunic. You know, very often in Jewish tradition, your tunic, your undergarment effectively, would be something that the mum would present as a coming of age present when you were 13. And there it is. They're casting lots over it to work out who's going to have it. And she was there as her son cried out in pain. But also cried out in love. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And then Jesus looks right at her. Mom. Mother, behold your son. And son, behold your mother. Simeon was right. A sword would indeed pierce her heart also. Being the mother of Jesus would come with great privilege, but it would also come with great sorrow. And remarkably then, right at the end of this most incredible Christmas story, what we see coming into view is Easter. Everything that Easter would contain we see in the realities of the Christmas story. See, the Christmas story does not finish with the shepherds in verse 20. It finishes with Calvary in verse 34 and 35. It finishes with us gazing on to where all this is going. This baby would become a boy who would become a man who would then die. And we see it right here at the end of the Christmas story. In Galatians chapter 4 verses 4 to 5, it says, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that they might receive redemption as 
sons. He came to redeem those under the law. He came to give his life as a ransom for many, which is what it meant to redeem. That didn't just mean Christmas. It meant Easter. And right here at the end of the Christmas story, if we pay attention, it is Easter that now comes into view. Isn't that amazing? Christmas isn't just for Christmas. It's for every day. Because Christmas is about Easter and where all this is going as well. My friends, each and every year of our lives, just a few days after Christmas, it can be so easy to just pack down, stick everything back in the garage and move on. It can be easy to do that with festivities. It can be easy to do that with this story. But I want to encourage you now, I trust understanding the more fullness of this story, that it doesn't finish with shepherds, it culminates in Calvary. I want to encourage you to never move on from it again. Mary and Joseph, I think, lived their life ever increasingly in the wondrous mystery of the incarnation. We get to hold God in our hands. And my friends, as Christians, I want to encourage you, may we do exactly the same thing. May we live in wonder, the unfolding, wondrous mystery of the incarnation. May that affect the way we pray. May it affect the way we praise. May it affect the very faith we have in our heart. For hope has come. Christmas and Easter. Right here. In Luke chapter 2. May we live in the glory of what we see. Let's pray. Lord how can we thank you enough. For the reality that hope. Has come. Lord did you forgive us for times. When we hear the Christmas story. And have just grown so familiar with it. That we turn off. We turn off to the reality that you left the heavenly realms to become man for us as you headed towards Calvary. Oh Lord, would we live our lives ever increasingly in the wonder, the wonderful mystery of the incarnation. The reality that the one who spins the galaxies would one day sit under the stars at night. The one who made the mountains would know what it is to sweat as he climbed them. The one who knits us together in our mother's womb would ultimately come forward from a womb. As you headed towards Calvary. Lord, may we live in the wondrous mystery of all this is. We are amazed. May you receive all the glory. Please stand as we sing glorious.